on this episode of AV Week standardization and user experience, displays versus projection systems, and what made ISC 2023 a success. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is AV Week, episode 599, recorded Friday, February 10th, 2023. Vital AV. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, you know her as Dawn Mead. We cannot tell you where she works, but she lives somewhere in the Middle Atlantic area. Welcome, ma'am. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. And of course, uh, Chelly, uh, Kelly, Kelly Chiquetti. I combined your first name and your last name, and I'm just, um, yeah, I'm done. Kelly, how are you? Good. How are you? That's actually a first. <laughs> no one's ever combined both, but that was a good job. Uh, thank well, you. They, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And Kelly is with uh, HGA uh, down south. So uh, thank you guys both so much. Uh, we, uh, we, a bunch of folks headed over to Barcelona, uh, got back about a week or so ago, a week from the time you're hearing this, certainly a week from when we're recording it. Um, ISC, Integrated Systems Europe, has really turned into the biggest uh, audiovisual trade show in the world. Uh, this both from a vendor standpoint, like, like the number of vendors, plus uh, the number of AV professionals showing up. If you want to find what uh, AV Nation did there, you can go to avnation.tv forward slash ISE dash 2023. Uh, but by the numbers, um, 58,000 people, uh, attendees, uh, showed up in Barcelona at the FIRA for ISC 2023. Uh, for reference, the biggest one ever for ISC was back in Barcelona, in, in, in Amsterdam in 2019 at 80,000. So their second time around in Barcelona, they are getting there. Uh, one could say that events are back. I saw that several times uh, over the course of the week, uh, especially on Twitter as those of us who were not in Barcelona got to watch it from afar. Uh, but it looked like a lot of fun, but also se several uh, inter interesting technologies came out of there. Um, Don, I'm going to start with you on this. Um, you've watched ISE for a number of years. This show hitting 58,000, darn near 60, getting back to where it was the year of, of the pandemic. 2020 was the last time um, they were in this number range. What, what makes or what made this year's ISE a success? I think it's a combination of things. Um, the realization that after, after COVID, we have to get back to business, things have to start happening again. That's a big issue. Also, I think it's important that, um, you know, COVID's been around long enough now. It isn't necessarily going away. It hasn't necessarily been cured, but life goes on. And people are starting to realize we can be safe. We can... Um, do what we need to do with our business, with our lives, and still go to shows and still see people because you can't stop the world indefinitely. Kelly, one of the things, depending on, on what country you are, when you're listening to this or watching this, certain countries are saying the, that the COVID has gone from a pandemic and it's going to an endemic. Here in the States, they are, they are uh, getting rid of 
certain travel restrictions, uh, and uh, you know, some uh, sometime in the next couple of months, they will officially announce that the pandemic part of COVID is over, and now we are moving into an endemic part, which is kind of what what Don was alluding to. There is this is going to be with us for a while. We're going to deal with this, but it's not to the level um, that it was certainly not two years ago. So, what does this show? It's the first of the year. CES happened a month ago. It was over 100,000, which is, again, pre-pandemic levels for that show, you know, the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. What does the success of ISE this, this last week say about events for the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Don. I think a lot of people have um, and uh, intentionally and unintentionally COVID fatigue. So it's, one, nice to get out and actually start going to these shows again. I think there's been a lot of updates Um from my understanding, ISC was very AI heavy um, and AI introductory heavy, heavy. So there was a lot going on in that in that aspect. And they also had um, finally uh, utilized the content production and distribution zone, allowing people to also showcase live content production, which is becoming more and more of a use case. And post-production, uh, MR and VR environments uh, were also uh, showcased as well as the um, innovative 360-degree camera options um, and as well as multiple LED displays. And, and I think the gaming and esports aspect was another um, reason that a lot of people were interested in coming to this show in particular. And it, it also helped that the King of Spain made an appearance and, and they had the, the royal, uh, they had the whole royal almost family there. And it was, um, you know, I think it was just a sign that the, the AV, uh, into, uh, Oh my gosh, I can't talk. AV industry uh, is booming still, and I think that's just kind of uh, an ode to to just showing that that technology is still on the rise, and and we're still and we're starting to shift into these, um, you know, AI environments, and we're starting to shift into into utilizing other types of environments such as gaming and outside of the integration aspect, at least, um, and, and we're starting to also kind of combine that into our technology today. And I think a lot of people were interested in seeing that and, and seeing the demos and seeing what was offered. And and I think they just set this up a little bit differently. And I think going forward, we probably will see that kind of audience, if not more, as COVID starts to ease down a little bit more. One of the things that that, that Kelly mentioned there was was the content production sh- uh, zone, which is something that, that Mr. Blackman and the team at ISC certainly really kind of touted going into this show. I'm looking ahead at other shows like Enterprise Connect, which is a smaller UC-focused show, but also NAB. Now, here in the States, NAB is, is the National Association of Broadcasters, right? That has been a traditionally, you, you go there if you, if you work for ESPN, right, or, or you work for a news channel, and you're going to find these ginormous cameras and these big consoles that, that you know, you can, Grass Valleys and, and, and Panasonic switchers and stuff like that. However, I went for the first time last year in, in 2022 and met so many AV folks, right? Uh, several that worked for corporations that were developing or had already deployed content production, content creation internally. Think Coca-Cola Studios, right? Not that Coca-Cola is going to make a movie, but it's content for themselves internally, are you guys see, are you seeing that Don again? Don works for a, a, you know is technically a, a, an end user. We can't say exactly where, but you know, are you seeing that in in your either in your cohort internally or other other folks that you uh, that you talk to that are other AV users? 
I mean, honestly, my own company and several others in our vertical, they've had these video, internal video broadcast studios, broadcast teams for decades now. This is not a new thing for a lot of us corporately. Um, these are the folks that make your, uh, for, for the investment firms, they make your quarterly earnings calls. They make your mm. um, forecasts for the year. Uh, when I was an integrator, one of our customers was one of the largest um, investment companies that's headquartered here in the Baltimore area. And we would do quarterly shoots with them for, you know, we'd bring out our production team and work with their studios and their their directors and things to put together these shows that were broadcast to all their analysts and all of their brokers. Um, my own company, you know, we do videos of our internal all hands meetings. We have videos sometimes of product launches or special events. Um, we do, you know, all, all manner of things. Sometimes it's used on our internal digital signage. Sometimes it's just used as a record for historical purposes of the company. Sometimes, you know, it gets repurposed and used for, I don't know, website things, uh, um, for competitive bids where we provide it as part of a bid package to show our capabilities compared to the company just like us down the street. Um, <laughs> You know, so this is not a new thing. I think what's new is the fact that more and more they're bringing in AV people to work with these teams because a lot of times these teams are directors, they're broadcast folks, you know, separate from yeah. AV teams. And they either rent equipment or like when I was an integrator, our, our broadcast team would come out and work with the internal stockbrokers, directors and things. They didn't have their own AV team of equipment ready to go. So I think the fact that we're bringing in more AV folks to work internally with these creative folks and these comms folks, that's kind of where it's going. And it's, uh, it's exciting to see that ISE recognized that and had a whole area on that because with YouTube and, and um, all, you know, all the, all the online content and all the online sharing, having a content production team is more important, I think, now than ever. All right. Uh Next story, uh, Just Add Power begins to ship their Max Color Series 2 transmitter and receivers. Uh, very quickly, Just Add Power has been a sponsor of AV Nation in the past. They are not currently a sponsor, but they have been uh, most recently as of, as of last month. Um, this transceiver sends out 4K60 and Dolby Vision HDR video over a 1 gig network. The thing that struck me, and Kelly, we'll start with you on this. The thing that struck me about this story is that they are taking pre-orders for mid-February 2023 shipping, meaning part of their marketing strategy, part of their go-to-market go to is, hey, y'all, we got stuff to get you, right? We, we, we've we got product we can get in your hands right now. Not unlike our, our, uh, our friend Paul Harris over at Aurora Multimedia, certainly part of his strategy as well, right? So, Kelly, how long will this, we are shipping and we are shipping now, strategy be used as a differentiator in the AV market? Um, I think it's definitely an important selling point as of now um, until we see some of those Q4 dates start getting uh, dropped to 2023 instead of 2024. I think it's definitely going to be a major selling point. I know with the max color transmitter and receiver, one of their uh, also on top of that selling point is is that they can distribute this over a uh, one gigabit managed network, which reduces expenses of, of upgraded fiber and buying switches. So I think they've also added that as part of their selling point. But if we're talking strictly just we have it now, um, I mean, I was just doing a design yesterday and we I was trying to find um, 
you know, encoders and decoders that were just not available till 2024. So I had to go with someone who was uh, using the selling point where we have this one available now and I had to switch what I was using. Um, so I think it's definitely going to be at least until the end of 2023. I think that's definitely going to be a major selling point for a lot of integrators and designers and, and end users even, um, you know, just because we're trying to, we're trying to get the design finished and we're also trying to get the install done by the, the uh, construction schedule date and the move-in date. And um, right now, I, I just had this situation yesterday where my decision-making was solely based on where, when I can get it and, and how, how much of it can I get. So um, yeah, I think until some of those Q3 and Q4 dates start to kind of move up a little bit, it's probably going to be like that for the rest of the year. Dawn, same kind of question. You are an end user. So how important is the fact that, that your integrators or your companies or the people that the vendors that you're buying this from, how important is it that they can get it sooner rather than later? Vital. Absolutely <laughs> vital. Uh, Kelly said she just had to do a project that's doing this. I've done nothing for the past year and a half than ride herd on our integrators and our vendors saying, where's the product? Where's the product? And I've spent probably the last four months flipping designs to what is available and can meet or, you know, it, even just come close to the technical specifications of the originally spec'd product. Um, we, you know, we've had our security team vetting new products constantly to increase our approved products list to include some of these things that are available. It is hugely important. Um, and here, you know, here's something that I never really realized until I not just became an end user, but became an end user in the vertical I'm in. And I, I don't know why I never, it never occurred to me, but, you know, we talk about buying cycles in certain industries, you know, the K through 12 buying cycle, you know, you want to get all your jobs awarded so they can install over the summer or whatever, you know, government, um, finance, everybody has their own buying cycles. Here's what they don't always tell you. Sometimes those buying cycles and budget cycles are firm, like firm. Like if you don't spend all that money by the end of the fiscal year, there is no rollover. That money is gone. And since COVID, our entire purchasing and receiving and billing departments have just lost their minds because nothing was shipping. All of the budgets were going and then trying to, you know, these are mission critical product projects that had to get finished. So they've had to reinvent what they're doing just to try to keep some of this money available to us. But I'm also on my end scrambling to say, look, we need stuff that's here now, because if it's not here now, we're not going to get a second chance at this. We will have missed our bu yeah. budgetary window. We've missed our install window. It's too bad for that project. Um, hopefully we can get you to get to you next year, you know? So if, if you're a manufacturer and watching this and you don't have product, figure it out. If you do have product, good for you, get it approved on whatever APLs you can, because you're going to be in business yeah. for quite a while now. And it's definitely through the end of this year. It might be through the end of next year or the year after. And it's never going to completely go away. It's always going to be in the mind of your end users and your integrators to some point that, hey, we've got some stricter deadlines than we thought we did. So you better make it happen. Don, I want to start with you. But Kelly, if you have insight in this, I want you to jump in. There, there, there's two competing factors that I've noticed here in, in talking with with. Uh, some of, of CTI's clients, and again, my, my day job is, is I run marketing for CTI. Nobody lets me in the engineering room. Nobody lets me in the programming room e anymore, even though I, I love programming. Um, but that's the, 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 com the, the competing, competing issues of standardization versus 
availability. And what I mean by that is you have a company, XYZ, who has standardized on this control system, and it's the control system they've used for 30 years, or it's the displays they've used for 20 years, and suddenly they're not available. Now, I, I think that I can, I can understand some of the, the mission-critical stuff that you mentioned there, right? This has got to be up, right, because of what, whatever. How do you guys handle that, that compete, those, those two competing issues between standardization, we've done this forever, and this company has just worked, oh, crap, they can't get it, so now we have to go to our second, third, or maybe even fourth choice while still maintaining a, use, a, a consistent user experience. You're poking the right bear here, Tim. Um, <laughs> so I was hired by this company five years ago because there was no standardization and every site oh, okay. and every room and every location was kind of doing their own thing. It was a whole wild west of AV mess um, and, and no consistent user experience. Uh, the past five years I've been an end user. I've done exactly that, put in some standards, brought in Avixa and AQAV standards for, you know, quality and for design and such, and have been working with our security team, our IT team, and our AV guys, you know, the, the actual techs that are running stuff to come up with an approved products list that will meet our requirements so that we can sort of distill this big mess of chaos into a standard functional system. And what we've come to, especially in the past couple of years, is it's less about the model number. You know, I've said this, I don't know how many times, nobody cares about your gray box. Nobody cares, no, nobody. We wanna know what is our user experience gonna be? What is our environment in the room going to be? Are we gonna have meeting equity? Are we gonna have, you know, the same buttons or the same basic functions happen when someone walks in, even if the model number, the gray box, the projector, the screen, whatever is different. That's where we've gone and I've developed sort of an evergreen standard that says we expect rooms of this size with this feature set to do this in this way. And then our bills of materials and our statements of work that go along with that evergreen standard that's where we'll list out products on the APL. That's where we'll list out products that are approved at this point in time. And sorry for all of you, again, manufacturers that have been out there convincing us to go with the ecosystems for the past 10 years. Ecosystems are great because we do only have one finger to point at, but when you're tied into an ecosystem that strict, it, it doesn't work. It's going back to the computer days. It's when we all had Packard Bells that only plugged into other Packard Bell parts. And where's Packard Bell now as a computer company? Who knows? You need that universal standard where I can plug in this peripheral and that motherboard and it works. And so that's kind of where we're designing to at this point. Kelly, you're sitting there shaking your head. So, Yeah, I was just going to say, because we, again, came across this issue recently um, where they had a an old standard and this is what they were used to. And aside from it being outdated, um, you know, one of the things we convey to clients and, and, and end users as well is, you know, and I think everyone's very well aware of the stock issue. Um, so we do rely heavily on use case and, and what are you trying to do with this room? Cause there are alternatives to everything. Um, it may not work the exact same as you see page flip may not be the exact same. The programming might be a bit different, but it's, in terms of the meat and potatoes and, and what, how we're distributing the signal, how we're 
getting it to these outputs, how we're using it when you walk in, is it one touch? Um, you know, we, we kind of rely very heavily on that now, as opposed to what's your brand of choice? So what's your manufacturer of choice? Just because we know we're not going to be able to pick and choose anymore. Um, and, you know, with other manufacturers who are doing the smart thing and kind of, um, utilizing their resources to create new products that are more universally used and, and can, you know, and encoders and decoders, they work the same way, no matter what you, no matter what company you use, they have their own version of it. Um, but, you know, some of these other companies like Extron, they're, they're um, creating new products and, and, and not just Extron, but also other manufacturers and they're making them available, um, you know, and, and it'll do the same thing that, that a Crestron system will do and, and that a Crestron encoder and decoder will do as long as you have a, the proper network requirements and switches. Um, if it does what they want, we can at least get them the functionality of what they're asking for. And then if we do, if we need to provide a little bit of training on the um, construction administration side, you know, I think most clients have been happy with that. Yeah. Given the circumstances. <laughs> encoders and decoders are a perfect case. Um, like what makes them different from one another? Usually nothing, nothing here. Usually nothing at all. We just go with this. It, every, every manufacturer friend you had just cringed. I, I know that. that. I know that. But at the, I, you know, there, there are some quality differences. There are some that are a little more robust than others, but at the end of the day, does it pass the signal? Yes. Does it get where it needs to go? Yes. All right. It works, you know? And honestly, that is more important to the end user and like not even me end user. Cause I'm an AV person. I care, yeah. but like the real end user that's using the room, they don't, give a crap whose name is on it. They just want it to work. And in, in the case of my company and similar ones, as long as you don't make it in China, Russia, or a couple of other unfriendly nations, we don't care who you put in. Just make it go, you know? <laughs> All right. Last story here uh, is, is a favorite of both Dawn and myself uh, because, well, she and I have been waiting for OLED to be a real thing for <clears throat> a minute. I'm not going to say how long because <laughs> uh, Dawn and I are the same age, just, you know, uh, she just looks much stronger than I do. Uh -oh. um, another coming out of ISC, LG unveiled its massive, and I do mean massive, 272-inch 8K micro LED display. The Magnet, as it's called, M-A-G-N-I-T, has a resolution of 7680 by 4320. We will not get into the fact that that's not technically 8K. That's for another show. <laughs> uh, pixel pitch on this sucker is 0.9 millimeter, and just in case you didn't know what pixel pitch that's the distance between the individual LEDs, so less than a millimeter, just by a little bit. And brightness of 600 nit, which is pretty bright. It's, 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 it's there. Uh, there was no listing of price on this thing uh, in the AV Magazine article, nor on LG's website. So, Don, let's start with you on this. In addition to this, there were a couple of display manufacturers showing off OLED displays that were rolled up into a projection screen type roller. Meaning, for those of us of you know that remember this, you would go into the class and pull down the projection screen. Well, now you're going into the class and pulling down the OLED display. What is the future of this DVD, DV LED, OLED versus projection systems, Dawn? I mean, honestly, the technology advances Sorry to all my friends at projector manufacturers, but right now you're winning on costs for, for very large mm. displays. When these big roll-down OLEDs and these great big um, DV LEDs come down in price that they're affordable, y'all better bring out a product line of that because <laughs> you might face some problems. Um, I mean, 
it's just, it's sexy, you know, it's, it's what we've been waiting for. It's the future. It's the, you know, take the command strips and slap your display on the wall and don't worry about mounting and blocking. It's, it's, you know, it's what I, it's what I've been waiting for, for, I'm not going to say how long, you know? So I, I think that, that, um, right now we absolutely use projection a lot more than the DVLED solutions and the, and the OLED solutions, but they're gaining ground as the price comes down. And in my company's cases, sometimes budgets go up, we're going to go the other way. So it's really purely a cost matter at this point. I mean, and, and when you add in the fact that you don't have to worry about, you know, the super bright projectors, you don't have to worry anyway. But if you don't have to worry about controlling your ambient light and your, your environment, you can just turn on the TV after you unroll it. I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer. So I think uh, projector people, pay attention. Either lower your prices and improve your quality or start selling us other stuff too. So Kelly, the the one thing I, I appreciate about having you on is, is you know HGAC's projects. I don't know a year, two, five years before they actually happen. And I'm not asking you to break any NDAs, so don't misunderstand what I'm going to ask. But how long does projection have? Like, like you know, and Don's not wrong about you know the cost. Is, the, there is a certainly a cost uh, consideration here. The, Getting a projector and a screen is still currently least less expensive than the average equal size direct view LED, but that won't always be the case. So you know, and, and you know, I don't know if it's five years, I don't know if it's ten years, I don't know you know what what that is, but or is projection going to be around just in a different form, just like you know in in, in the media environment? Well, you know, there are some. I'm one of these people. Who think that newspapers will be around in some form and fashion, right? It's just not, we're not going to have newsboys on the on the corner. You're just going to get a special delivery, you know, once a day or whatever for those people who want to keep, you know, holding the New York Times in their hand. Yeah. Um, in the future, I, I mean, I'll be honest now. Um, I don't think projection is ever going to go away. Um, I, I think it's still used in a lot of classroom settings uh, for short throw projectors. Uh, and even then, I still see um, schools and, and districts moving towards uh, screens now and smart boards. So, um, yeah, I mean, OLED's kind of kind of been the leading model for, for displays lately. Uh, I do like the fact that LG made such a large gargantuan display, and, and I like the idea of them using the self-emissive micrometer scale pixels and being able to reach a size like that. Um, and they'd also had a 136 inch that they increased to the 272 inch recently, uh, which was a 4K, now it's 8K. Um, so I think... I think projectors will never go away. I can tell you the projects I've worked on recently uh, are very display heavy. Um, even when I was going through our Revit families the other day, I was like, I don't have a projection projection screen and, and projector family updated in a while. Um, you know, and like Don had mentioned, it's also the idea that you don't have to mess because anytime we do projectors and screens, you have to size the screen out appropriately. You have to do the throw distance. And I mean, it's, it's, it's an entire physics equation. Yeah. I mean, you have to go through and figure out to the T, otherwise it doesn't look good. Um, you, you know, you do have to worry about, uh, do I want this motorized? Do I want this manual? Do I want, is overheating going to be an issue? Um, and a lot of people don't want to deal with that anymore. So yes, it, it, there's that price points, di price point difference. Um, 
But as the price points do start to come down, I think people would prefer dis these OLED displays, especially for corporate and boardroom and, and control rooms, especially control rooms. I've done a few government projects where no projectors have been used and it's all been video walls. It's all been displays. Mm -hmm. it's, and, and with these prices, be, I mean, I don't know what the price on the 272 inches or if anyone's going to get it anytime soon, but on most reasonable size displays, I think that that's definitely going to be what people lean more towards. And there's going to be situations where there might be a cost comparison. What's this display versus the projector? But, you know, like Dawn said, once that price point comes down, there's no more, it's going to be a no brainer. Right. It, it comes down to what's easier to manage what's easy what's the functionality is easier on what end and and for a screen which has this exceptional color and this ex excellent adjustable brightness levels you know and you don't have to worry about <laughs> the ambient light and 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 things like that um i think it's going to be a no-brainer at that point if cost is really the only thing kind of keeping one uh versus the other in the lead yeah. now if i could jump back in though i will say this um cost is the big differentiator for like schools and offices and, and the corporate environment, I think we are still going to see a lot of projection in experiential type places, yep. museums. Um, you know, when we go to Orlando and, and visit the rat or the wizards, we're going to still want to see castles that are dancing with lights and with, with, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to replace a castle with an LED wall or, or, I mean, you can add LEDs over top. I've seen that, but I, th I think that, that, that kind of environment, that kind of spectacle is going to be where we get a lot of the projection going forward, you know, sh shining on the ice in the hockey games, that sort of thing. Mm. That's going to be yeah. where projection yeah. is going to have its resurgence. Um, but then again, uh, you know, we could all be wrong because just the other day, our friend at another media source came out with his crystal ball and said, hey, projections coming back. We might have a shootout at Infoco, you know, so who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But you just reminded me, I was going to mention this too, as the exception to the rule, uh, a historical building wanted a uh, image uh, projected on the side of their building. And they had an extension of the building that came down about 40 or 50 feet from the height of the uh, historical building. And they said, well, let's put this projector on this, you know, slanted kind of lift box and let's project the image. So when people come down the street, they can see it. And I didn't see in, in the in the setup and the ambient light that we had and it being outdoors. I didn't see how and, and it being brick wall on a historical building, how a screen would have made sense out here or how we were mounted it's not you know um it's not weatherproof essentially it's it's not truly weatherproof so we're just going to have to get this enclosure with this projector and mount an image onto this wall but ensure that it's clear enough so that anybody driving from down the street can understand what it says and is it passive viewing is what you know just make sure we get the contrast ratio correct and that was a situation where um we could not use a screen and and in museums i just went to one recently uh, for the King Tut exhibit mm -hmm. and it was very projector heavy and it was a very clear image. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. In those situations, we're going to see projectors, but I feel like projectors are always going to be around. They're never going to fully go away. All right, there we go. See, Don, you, we don't have to, to, you know, to, to worry all of our projector. Yeah. Well, you know, those of us that just sit in boardrooms all day, we just think about boardrooms and then it's like, well, wait a minute, there's all this other cool stuff. So yeah, you'll still have a job folks. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, you know, Huge, huge blues fan here in, in St. Louis, and, and they don't quite have what the Toronto Maple Leafs have as far as, as, as ice projection, but they'll get there eventually.
<laughs> maybe if they win one more Stanley Cup, maybe they'll they'll splurge for it then. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you both so much. Uh, Dawn Mead. Uh, A.V. Dawn, how do people get a hold of you? You can find me on Twitter and all the socials as A.V. Dawn or Dawn Mead with an E on the end. Uh, you can't find me at work because we can't tell you where I work because then I'd have to kill you. But you can always find me here on A.V. Nation whenever Tim lets me come on. And you will see me at Infocom and other places as we're allowed to travel again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kelly uh, Cicchetti uh, from HGA. Uh, how do people get connect with you? I am on LinkedIn and it's under Kelly Chiketti hyphen teal T E E L. Um, I did have a Twitter under K Teal twenty two, and I found out right before this call uh, that it I think has been deleted. So I will create another one and give it to you on the next show. Damn you, Elon Musk. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean Musk is doing some crazy things this week. Like like people were running into Twitter like limitations on how many tweets they could send, and yeah, let's just blame that. Like all Elon I did was post about. AV stuff, so I don't know what I did. Elon deleted your Twitter. That's all we're going to say. That's that's fine. So, all right. Thank you both so much. Uh, For me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters because Elon will probably delete mine too. Uh, But go by the website if you would please, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, Dawn uh, mentioned uh, the fact that whenever I let her back on, so she'll be on in a few weeks. We also, by the time you're listening to this, have a brand new uh, reconfigured version of the Women of AV uh, with some uh, two very uh, super secret special hosts. Uh, and so that will be coming your way on Friday of this week. Also, uh, January was a time where we asked you for your opinion, your vote for the annual Aviation Reader's Choice Awards. That will also be uh, being unveiled a week from Tuesday. So Mr. Scott and I We'll be uh, announcing the winners for that. So thank you so much for your vote. So all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That is all the time we have for AV Week.